came out with sets of numbers and I plotted them on pieces of paper. Radio waves, radio waves. She sees radio waves, radio waves. brings the news, arrays and dishes get different views. Are you confused? Radio waves, radio waves, radio waves, she sees radio waves, she sees radio waves. Welcome to the Astrophys Podcasts. First of all, we would like to acknowledge Australia's first astronomers, the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, the traditional owners and custodians of the land we are on. This episode is produced on Yorta Yorta country. My name is Brendan O'Brien and today is Wednesday the 15th of September. We always include a community service announcement, asking you to wear a mask if you can't socially distance effectively and isolate as much as possible. And as soon as you can... To protect yourself, your loved ones and your community, get that COVID-19 vaccination as we work our way through this crisis. We also ask you to influence your local politicians with the message that we need to change our energy policies to move to renewable energy to mitigate climate change. Today we've got a fantastic interview for you. We're zooming 14 time zones over to Toronto in eastern Ontario to speak with Dr. Cherry Ng. Hello, Cherry. Hi, Brendan. It's a great pleasure today to speak with Dr. Cherry Ng, who is an amazing researcher at the Dunlap Institute of Astronomy and Astrophysics at the University of Toronto in Canada. For her PhD, she discovered an amazing 60 pulsars using the Parkes dish. She allocates time on the MWA, the Murchison Widefield Array. She does fabulous outreach work and is now discovering FRBs with the CHIME radio telescope in BC, British Columbia in Canada. Cherry is also the project scientist for Breakthrough Listen on the Meerkat Telescope in South Africa, as well as for upcoming systems on the Very Large Array. How busy is that? Thanks for speaking with us, Cherry. I hope you've all been safe from the wildfires in Canada. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Brendan. Yeah, we are all good here. Like you said, the Chime radio telescope is in interior busy, and there are quite a few wildfires in the region, but thankfully, the telescope is relatively unharmed. There were quite a few days we had to shut down because of the high temperature to prevent computers from being overheated. Uh, So I guess, yes, that we are affected a little bit in that way. Okay. All right, then. So before we talk about your pulsar discoveries and your rich research programs and your outreach work and the beautiful chime instrument, can you tell us where you grew up, please, Cherry, and tell us how you became interested in science and space and astronomy? 
Sure. I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, I guess many of you know it's a big city in the south coast of China with over 8 million people. There is a lot of light pollution in Hong Kong and we don't really see easily skies, uh, stars on the sky, for example. Basically, I want to say I did not grow up thinking about astronomy. Things really changed when I moved to the UK for my higher education. I got into UCL, University College London, which has a strong astronomy department and it actually has its own observatory. And it is really at the observatory where I first found out about the wonders of astronomy and how I decided to pursue a career in this area. Fantastic. Okay, so you got straight A's at school. You went to UCL, University of London, you got your MSc and you didn't mention you got first class honours for your master's astrophysics thesis, which was a study of exoplanets using the transit method. And then while you were doing that, you were also a UCL research intern and did some research work with the European Space Agency in Spain. And then you moved over to the Max Planck Institute of Radio Astronomy in Bonn and successfully completed your PhD. And your thesis was Pulsar Searching and Timing with the Parkes Telescope, which included, of course, a visit to Australia and your continuing work allocating time on the MWA. Now, you're in Toronto on the east coast of Canada, It sounds like becoming an astronomer to see the world while you were seeing the universe, Cherry. Is that right? Yeah, that's definitely an added bonus. The opportunity of living in different countries and getting to know different cultures is for sure one of the reasons that kept me going in astronomy. My family is mixed race, and as I move from one place to another, between Hong Kong, UK, Germany, Spain, and Canada, each time we pick up some aspect of the culture and we sort of build our own multicultural way of living. That's uh, really something that I like. Oh, wow, that's fantastic. What a wonderful journey. Now, just before we dive into your Pulsar thesis and your current research on Chime, could you tell us about some of the people who have inspired and supported your astronomical research and Who are you working with now? If you mean role models, I would say Jocelyn Bell and Jill Tarter. Oh, yes. Jocelyn Bell is the astronomer who first discovered Pulsar, and Jill Tarter has been really promoting the work of SETI, Searching for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yep. Both of their stories are really inspiring, especially as women in STEM. But on a more personal level, I would say it is really the wonderful colleagues around me that has inspired me and supported my work so far. In particular, I give the example of my PhD supervisor, Michael Kramer. He's really a great scientist. He knows everything about pulsars and gravity theories. But at the same time, he is also the director of the Institute, so he is very busy with a lot of responsibility. However, he always tries his best to spend time with his students and answer our questions and help us achieve our projects. I really admire how he cares about people, and this is what I try to do 
the same to my students. Fantastic. Sounds like you've got some wonderful collaborations happening as well. Let's talk now about the background to your PhD Pulsar thesis, how your Australian visit began and how it came about and how you used the Parks dish to find so many new pulsars, please, Cherry. Right. Like you said, my PhD project was about using the Parks telescope to search for new pulsars. Pulsars are rapidly spinning neutron stars. They are really extreme objects with the mass of our sun, but confined in the size of a city like New York. I wanted to study them because they are a great tool for studying theories of gravity. They are not so easy to detect. They are actually very weak. They are about a thousand times less bright than a mobile phone if there was a mobile phone on the moon. My job with the Parkes telescope is to scan the sky, in particular the galactic plane region, because in the galactic plane region is the densest place in the Milky Way, and this is where we can expect the highest number of pulsars. So I came down to Parkes many times, and I worked there a lot. It's really a magical place, so I highly recommend you to go visit if you have the chance to. During that time, it came up with a search algorithm that would target specifically pulsars in a range of orbital periods. That is, uh, if a pulsar is in an orbit with another companion object. Yep. So it turned out really well, and I was able to discover 60 pulsars personally. Each time I find a new pulsar, it's a really awesome feeling to be able to expand our knowledge of the universe just a tiny bit more. Fantastic. I can hear the excitement in your voice. Okay, let's move on now and look at the chime instrument. It looks a little bit like the Malonglo Observatory Synthesis Telescope uh, that we featured four years ago when we talked with Dr. Manisha Kaleb about her FRB research using Malonglo. Can you describe for our listeners the features of that amazing Canadian CHIME telescope for us and the remarkable output of FRB discoveries since it celebrated first light back in 2017. Indeed, CHIME is really similar to Molonglo in many ways. So both of those radio telescopes have a cylinder shape as a reflector. But instead of having two orthogonal arms, like the case of Molonglo, CHIME has four cylinders and they are side by side together, covering an area equivalent of five hockey arenas in Canadian units, or let's say one soccer field. There is also no moving parts, so the telescope just looks up as the sky drifts overhead. And CHIME is then covering the whole northern sky daily as the sky drifts overhead. Now, the main reason why CHIME has been such a game changer in the study of fast radio bursts is because of this unique design. Take Parkes radio telescope as an example. Parkes' single dish is an antenna, and it's very good at focusing on one particular point in the sky. However, when it comes to looking for fast radio bursts, now these are fast radio bursts, radio waves from unknown location and time. We don't really know when and where they go off. So if you can only look at one tiny spot on the sky at a time, 
now the chance of catching an FRB going off becomes really small. Chime, on the other hand, sees a really large area of the sky at a time over 100 times wider area than parks. Yeah. So what we say is that it has a large field of view. And that's why Chime has been able to discover over 1,000 fast radio bursts since it started operation. And this is orders of magnitude more than any other radio telescope facilities. Oh, fantastic. And there's more coming in every day. Indeed. Okay. Now, we know that great science is often a really hard slog, and it's not all about eureka moments and serendipitous discoveries. Can we dive in a little bit deeper here? And would you like to tell our listeners, we know we've got some PhD students out listening to this, could you tell our listeners about any particular issues that you're currently dealing with and what sort of tricky problems do you encounter in your work that keeps you awake at night? Yeah, well, take the example of Chime, the construction of the telescope itself. That was a long journey. I've worked on the Chime site many times, pulling cables and assembling electronic parts together. And before Chime came online, nobody has detected fast radio bursts at the operating frequencies of Chime. So it was a complete gamble whether we would detect anything at all. It could have been the case that fast radio bursts don't emit at the low frequency of Chime, in which case all of the hard work would have been for nothing. Wow. Fortunately, our work paid off and Chime turned out to be the perfect instrument for fast radio bursts because of its field of view and in fact this observing frequency seemed to be pretty good for fast radio bursts as well but even now that things are running it's not smooth sail every day like i said earlier we have to deal with the high temperature and watch out for wildfires and our latest interruption actually came from a groundhog which <laughs> chewed through some of the cables and caused a power failure <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, so these are on the operational side, but regarding the science, I would say the biggest challenge is the huge amount of data. We have 13 terabits per second of input data to process, and which is the equivalent of the cell phone network in North America at any given time, which is to say a lot of data. So we constantly have to work on improving our analysis algorithm to have the best chance of detecting the weakest signal buried in the data. Okay, uh, 13 terabits a second. Now, can you tell us a bit of a detail? Do you run supercomputers um, at ultra-low temperatures? What's the way that you deal with that amount of data going through your system all the time? We do have a high-performance computing cluster that consists of over a 1,000 graphics processing unit, these GPU cards, they're typically used for gaming, but they are really well suited for our science purpose as well. We have these GPU cards that are dedicated to processing the high data rate. They are liquid cooled, so not like super low temperature, but yeah, we do have to keep them cooler than the ambience temperature, especially during the summer when it's so hot out there. One of my main roles with Chime is precisely to develop a GPU beamforming algorithm 
that would enable us to form many beams to tile the large field of view of CHIME in real time so that we can search for fast radio bursts in many different sky positions all at once. Fantastic. Okay. Look, back to right now. We're just over the middle of 2021 and COVID-19 has had and is still having a huge impact worldwide. We've now got the Delta variant. Um going through many countries. How has COVID impacted on your research, Cherry? Since the pandemic started, we have all been working from home. We astronomers are relatively lucky in the sense that our jobs can be done mostly remotely as long as we have access to computers and the data we need to for the analysis. So I would say we are definitely more fortunate than many other people. Having said that, Working remotely is really not the same. And I definitely miss the stimulating intellectual discussion that I could have with my colleagues when we are working in person. Yes. yes. Also, our deployment on Meerkat, the very large array, they have also been affected. We were supposed to go on site and install hardware equipments. And now, so far, we haven't been able to do that because the observatories were closed for a long time and international travels have been suspended. Yes, it's um, put a break on a lot of work. Fortunately, we've got some good technology that helps us sort of keep going a little bit in the meantime. Now, you have a rich history of doing lovely outreach work. I just watched your recent SETI presentation on YouTube. It's really, really great and highly recommended for listeners who would like to hear about how researchers like Cherry are using dishes and arrays for FRB detections, transients, and SETI searches, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Now, if you want to see those videos, you can go to tinyhill.com forward slash cherry SETI. That's C-H-E-R-R-Y-S-E-T-I. That's all lowercase, all one word. Now, Cherry, can you tell us why outreach is so important for you and what outreach activities are up next for you, please? I really enjoy outreach because I like to share the work I love with other people. And as I said, I grew up not having much access to astronomy. And I feel like if I could spread the word of the cool things you can do as an astronomer, it might reach some other communities that are historically underrepresented in this field. And since the pandemic, I have to adapt and move to the online platform for outreach activities as well, because everything in person has been canceled. And I actually think it worked really well. With everything going online, it's making it easier for some people to tune in, those people that might not otherwise have thought about going to an astronomy event in person. And two weeks ago, I actually gave a talk about fast radio bursts at a conference that was supposed to be held in South Korea, but it became, but it turned into a virtual event. I did that on Monday. And then I gave a Zoom talk at the Astronomy and Space Exploration Society in Toronto on Wednesday. And then I participated in a panel discussion about how to get involved in SETI work for early career researchers at the Penn State University on Thursday. So it would have been difficult to be in these three places in the same week if they were all in person. Fantastic. Look, I'll get some information later from you 
and we'll attach it to the end of this podcast and we'll give our listeners an idea of a, a good website to go to to get involved with SETI research. It's a great project and there's so many different arms to it. Okay, so you weren't one of those astronomers that started right from a very early age. What future directions can you see yourself heading with your passion for research in the short term? And perhaps where do you think you might be heading in the long term? One of the new directions I'm fascinated about is the ability to conduct so-called commensal observations on radio telescopes. Traditionally, astronomers have been limited by telescope resources, the fact that uh, we can only look at one thing at a time. And these radio telescopes are usually heavily subscribed. So a lot of scientists are competing time to use those facilities. So some astronomers, they might not even get a chance to try out their cool ideas. But thanks to the advancement in technology, we can now manage high data rates and digitize the sky in a resolution that was not possible before. Chime, for example, it actually makes three copies of its data to study fast radio bursts, pulsars, and cosmology all at the same time. Wow. Another way to parallelize telescope resources is through this, uh, a technology called multicast ethernet, and this is what we are developing on Meerkat and the Very Large Array, essentially allowing multiple users to subscribe to the data stream and analyze the data in a way that best suits their science goals. I'm really excited about this breakthrough in technology because it effectively provides multiple telescope years per calendar year, and science output uh, scaled up by roughly the same amount, if not more. Oh, that's fantastic, Lo. I should have also asked you about the SKA, shouldn't I? For sure, the Square Kilometer Array is expected to be built within the next decade and is going to be the most sensitive radio telescope ever built. I'm very excited about the Square Kilometer Array and can't wait to use it. <laughs> yes, and your work in Australia and in South Africa will be a fantastic opportunity for you too. Now. Is there anything else that we should watch out for in the near future? What are you really keeping your eye on? I think the next scientific breakthrough, it's going to come from fast radio burst. As we said, Chime has been a powerhouse and discovering a large number of fast radio bursts. And for the first time, scientists are able to study FRBs as a population. It is already emerging that there might be a different subpopulation of fast radio bursts. Some of them repeat, and some of them are just one-off events. Now, at the rate of discovery that CHIME is producing, I think we should have enough information to figure out what are behind these energetic bursts from extragalactic distances very soon. Fantastic. Yes, very exciting. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Cherry. Mm. On behalf of all of our listeners, it's been really fabulous speaking with you. Thank you especially for your time. You've got an amazing schedule. And those that would like to read Cherry's amazing PhD thesis about her successful pulsar searches, it's at tinyurl.com 
forward slash cherry phd that's all lowercase all one word and congratulations on all your great work and i'm really looking forward to hearing about your next discoveries thanks cherry thanks brandon bye bye as promised here is a link so listeners as citizen scientists can contribute to FRB research. There's a lot of questions about FRBs, but there's two that you can help answer. Maybe there are really several types of FRBs and that the ones we see repeat are caused by something different to the ones we only see once. Or maybe they all repeat, but some just repeat much less often and they might repeat with much fainter amplitudes than we just haven't noticed it yet. We also mostly see very bright FRBs. They are easy to spot, and we can detect them from further away, but we're not sure how faint they can get. Fast radio burst researchers suspect that automatic software isn't quite good enough yet to spot the very faint ones, and humans can sometimes do better. By helping researchers like Dr. Cherry find more FRBs, you're helping scientists answer both these questions and more. Please give a hand by going to a great Zooniverse FRB project at tinyurl.com forward slash find FRBs. That's tinyurl.com forward slash F-I-N-D-F-R-B-S or lowercase or one word. And remember, Astrophys is free and unsponsored, and we're very happy to recommend that you can always get the latest and best space news from Rami Mandau at spaceaustralia.com. And for observers and astrophotographers, always check out Dr. Ian Musgrave's Astroblogger website. And we'll see you in two weeks when Ian returns with his monthly Skywatch for observers and astrophotographers. Radio Wave!